Georgia Criminal Law Podcast. My name is Ryan Brown, um, and this is episode three, where we talk about what is a grand jury. Uh, this episode, like all of them so far, have, is brought to you by J. Ryan Brown Law, a criminal defense firm in Noonan, Georgia. Um, so today we're going to talk about grand juries. Um, what are grand juries? What, what do they do? What, what's their purpose? How does it work? Does everyone who's charged with a crime get charged by a grand jury? Um, grand juries are, if not the most secretive, one of the most secretive things that happens in state-level criminal um, work. Um, it is incredibly secretive. Um, very few people have actually been inside of a grand jury room um, and seen grand jury proceedings. You would either have to be a law enforcement officer, a prosecutor, or be selected to serve on a grand jury to be in in that room. I am fortunate enough. I've been in a. Uh, I've participated in grand jury proceedings in two counties, both Coweta County. I mean, not Coweta. Excuse me. Both Carroll County and Troop County, um, as my time in my time as a pros- in the prosecutor's office. Um, but now that I'm no longer prosecuted on the defense side, I'll never be back inside of a grand jury room unless I'm selected to serve on a grand jury. Uh, it's just not something that most people have the opportunity to do. So let's, let's kind of go through things and kind of we're, we're posing the question, what is a grand jury? We've got to take a few other steps to get to the answer. But let's start with the fact that before we can explain what a grand jury is, you have to understand that there's two ways someone can be accused of a crime. The first is an accusation, and that's where a prosecutor charges someone a crime. The prosecutor literally just signs off on what's called an accusation. It gets filed with the clerk of court, and then before you know it, you're getting a letter in the, an arraignment notice in the mail from the court telling you to show up to court that you've been charged with a crime. The second way is an indictment. Now, an indictment is what a grand jury what a grand jury does. A grand jury can bring charges against citizens of the county in which that grand jury is sitting. Um, and that's what's called an indictment. In those situations, it's actually not prosecutors technically bringing the charges. It is, in fact, the grand jury. But I think it's worth our time to really dive into the difference between accusations and indictments. So let's start with accusations. Um, When someone is charged by accusation, a prosecutor all by themselves has decided that there's probable cause that that person committed a crime. The prosecutor's office, whether it be the solicitor general's office in some counties for misdemeanors or the, pro- or the district attorney's office for felonies or, or in some counties where there is no solicitor's office, has drafted an accusation. And by signing that accusation, the prosecutor has sworn that there is probable cause that that person, that the defendant, the suspect, has committed a crime. Now, it's important to know that accusations are only available to prosecutors for certain crimes. Accusations can be used by prosecutors for any misdemeanor charges, as well as for some certain what, what I would call less serious felonies. Those felonies include theft charges, forgeries, fraud charges, escape charges, any charges really relating to confinement, um, as well as possession of a firearm by a convicted felon or possession of a firearm by a first offender probationer. Now, what that does not include is possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime and your more serious cases, um, your seven deadlies, for instance, murder, uh, rape, um, child molestation, sex cases, things like that, arsons, things like that are not included in this list. They must be uh, charged by a grand jury. So accusations can be filed after someone has been arrested for allegedly committing one of these crimes, the misdemeanors or those certain felonies we laid out. And then in rare circumstances, and this is exceedingly rare, I, I, I don't think, I don't know of any time of this happening since um, in the Coweta Judicial Circuit where I practice tip mainly, um, prosecutors can actually charge individuals with an accusation despite that person ever being arrested. 
So typically what happens is someone's arrested for a misdemeanor or for a theft or a forgery or an escape, and then they're charged by accusation. The prosecutor's office gets the police reports uh, in, a, in a police file, and then they draft this accusation with, after law enforcement conducts an accusation. But prosecutors in Georgia are allowed to file an accusation accusing someone of a crime without there ever being an arrest and without there ever being a investigation by law enforcement. In that case, the prosecutor simply fills out an affidavit and uh, swears to the facts supporting their accusation and signs it. So yes, it, it's, in, it's incredibly rare, but you can be charged with a felony upon the decision of an assistant district attorney sitting in his office. He may be first fresh out of law school, and he can literally charge you with a crime with, with no nothing else other than the information he swears to be true. Um, and by him, by him signing it, it's sworn to be true. It's accepted as, as being true as, for, as far as probable cause purposes, and there's no sort of check on that power. Uh, and that's actually really, in, despite the fact that it's incredibly rare, I mean, the, the level of power that goes into that and that is seen in that is, is actually crazy. Now, with that said, I really reiterate the fact that that is exceptionally rare. I don't think there are prosecutors here in the West and uh, West Georgia, South Metro area that are, that are typically using that. I don't know of anyone that is using that regularly. However, that doesn't mean that it's not happening. <clears throat> so that, that's kind of the accusation part. And you, you'll notice that that has nothing to do with grand juries other than the fact that I will tell you there are two ways to be accused of a crime. Accusation is one, and the other is an indictment. And for you to be indicted on something, then there must be a grand jury. So an indictment is a charging document where a grand jury charges someone with a crime. So you may hear prosecutors have charged someone with murder or with rape or with child molestation, something serious. That is practically pretty accurate, but technically it's not true. Technically, indictments are, are returned by grand juries. Prosecutors present cases to grand juries, but grand juries are the ultimate decider on whether or not to charge someone with a crime. So any charge can be brought by indictment. You, know, they can, you can be indicted on those misdemeanors or those felonies that I talked about that can be accused. You can also be indicted on those, but the most serious felonies must be brought via indictment. So you've noticed from our previous discussion about accusations that when you're charged by accusation, the prosecutor's the one swearing probable cause in that. But when someone is charged via an indictment, then it's the grand jury determining there's probable cause. So when a grand jury charges someone, it's done through this very secretive process, uh, their grand jury proceedings. And we'll get, we're, we're going to go through the different various things about it, but just keeping in the back of your mind that what the grand jury does to get to the indictment is prosecutor presents a case to the grand jury, the prosecutor leaves, and the grand jury votes on whether they think there's probable cause to suspect that person of committing the crime that they've been accused of by the prosecutors. But who's on this grand jury? Who are the people getting to make these decisions? Well, a grand jury is generally composed of 23 people that are from the county where the charges are being brought, or where the, so the, the grand jury sits um, at varying frequencies, depending on the county, in the county in which they reside. These jurors are selected uh, randomly from a random list created by the county clerk. But there are a few things that can disqualify someone from serving as a grand jury. So listen closely to this list of about six things that if these are, are going on in, in this person's life, they would not be willing or able, not willing, they wouldn't be able or qualified to serve on a grand jury. Someone who's a convicted felon that has not had their rights restored yet is not eligible to serve on a grand jury. 
either as someone who's been determined by a court to be mentally incompetent, if you are actively a defendant in a criminal case where that um, and or that person is participating in pretrial release or diversion and haven't completed that uh, that case, they are not eligible to serve on a grand jury. Um, someone who's pleaded guilty under a conditional discharge and has not completed the terms of that sentence yet, or if you're serving the terms of a first offender and haven't completed that sentence, those people are not eligible to serve on a grand jury. Anyone participating in drug court, mental health court, or anything like that, any of these alternative resolution courts or, or, um, or things like accountability courts, as they're so often called, none of those people can serve on a grand jury. Now, let's say you're not one of those people and you are selected for a grand jury. You typically serve on the grand jury for a full term of court. Now, the tricky part is that terms of court vary greatly across the state of Georgia. Um, and to just illustrate that, I practice primarily in the Coweta Judicial Circuit, which is five counties. It's Carroll, Coweta, Heard, Meriwether, and Troop. And among those five counties, the terms of court are incredibly, uh, uh, they vary incredibly. Carroll County has court, uh, terms of court begin on the second Monday in January, the first Monday in April, the third Monday in June, and the first Monday in October. You can see how confusing that could be. Whereas Coweta begins on the first Monday in March and the first Tuesday in September, Heard County is the third Monday in March and September. Meriwether, on the other hand, is the third Monday in February, May, August, and November, whereas Troop County is the first Monday in February, May, August, and November. So here locally, in there five counties, there are five very different schedules for terms of court. Well, and that can be, that's important for grand juries and other things like speedy trial demands and all kinds of stuff, and it just can be really uh, cumbersome and confusing. Um, so here locally, if you're chosen to be on a grand jury, you're typically going to serve for about three months unless you're in Kelly or Heard, where those terms are going to be about six. Um, <clears throat> so once the 23 citizens are selected, um, when they come to the courthouse, they're going to be qualified. The DA is going to ask them some questions, make sure they're eligible and things like that. Then there are regular scheduled grand jury meetings, and that's where the grand jury really begins to charge people with crimes. Now, many people don't realize that grand jury proceedings operate in complete secrecy. There's no public oversight of these. Um, if, you know, we hear things about open court and stuff like that. Grand jury proceedings are not part of that. You, as a member of the public, cannot go to the courthouse and watch grand jury proceedings. Um, only the district attorney, his or her assistants, prosecutor's witnesses, of course, the, that's only the witnesses that the DA or the solicitor wants to come. If there's any witnesses for the defense, the prosecutors conveniently don't invite them to the grand jury proceedings. Um, a stenographer, meaning someone who can take down information if uh, required, that's not common practice, as well as an interpreter, if there's a language barrier, um, are welcome in grand jury proceedings. Now, there is one very important person that is missing, two if you ask me, very important people missing from this list of people who are eligible to come to grand jury proceedings. That is one, the person being accused of a crime, and two, his attorney. So at a grand jury proceeding, um, there is, there is n no opportunity for a defense attorney or for a defendant to be present during those proceedings. Now, there is an exception. Georgia has conveniently uh, decided to allow law enforcement officers who are accused of crimes in the course of their conduct to uh, be present during the, and testify in the proceedings against them. However, they also cannot bring their attorney into the courtroom. So, how does the grand jury actually go about charging someone? Like we've talked about, oh, a grand jury charges, a grand jury charges, they find probable cause. How does that actually work? Well, here's what happens. Once the grand jurors, the grand jurors are given a court a day to come to the courthouse, and they report to the courthouse, and they convene, and a session begins. Um, and it kind of varies from place to place. In Troop County, for instance, the um, the 
grand jurors meet in uh, the uh, in the superior courtroom, and you know, Carroll in Carroll County, they meet in the DA's office. There are various places that that uh, grand juries meet, but typically it's going to be in a courthouse. But it's a private area; it's secret. No one's allowed. No one's allowed to participate in those. Um, in the room is notably closed to the public. Um, now the prosecutors call witnesses to testify in front of the grand jury, and typically. Uh, depending on the level of the case, but for a general state-level case, uh, we're not talking about an FBI investigation or for a serious corruption case or for a big, you know, you, you've seen a lot of information about, like, the Robert Mueller investigation. That's obviously a massive-level investigation. Things like that. I'm talking about for a standard-level state, state criminal case. Um, prosecutors are typically only calling one witness in grand jury proceedings, and that's the lead investigator um, on their case. So literally... Um, Whoever from the sheriff's office or from the local police department has been assigned to investigate the case, they come, they tell the they they tell the grand jury their side of the facts, and that's it. The defendant and the lawyer aren't there. the The prosecutor's going to ask the grand jurors if they know the defendant, if they know the law enforcement officer, if they know the victims, if they're related to any of them, and if not, the law enforcement officer gives his side of the story to the grand jury. He stops. The prosecutor and the law enforcement officer leave, and the grand jury, the grand jurors vote, and they vote on whether or not they think there's probable cause to charge the defendant with a crime. the The problem is, it it's happened so quickly that so often grand jurors are rarely given an opportunity to really consider the evidence in the cases. There, there's a very rushed, um, uh, there's a rushed vibe, if you will, to grand jury proceedings. Um, it's not uncommon at all for a grand jury to consider multiple serious felony cases at once. I'm talking aggravated assaults, um, uh, mur you know, murders and everything like that, and only minutes pass between the, the presentation of the case and the voting by the grand jury. In fact, it's not uncommon for grand jurors to, to vote on multiple um, multiple cases at once. So they'll hear, they'll hear testimony on several cases at one time and then and then vote on multiple cases at one time so that you know in my opinion really cuts into their ability to really weigh the evidence and weigh the testimony and really determine whether or not there actually is probable cause um, to uh, indict somebody of the crime that they're being accused of by the prosecutor's office um, in fact early uh, in last year in 2018 uh, I'm not gonna say necessarily what state but defense attorneys in a neighboring state from here in Georgia challenged a grand jury's proceedings um, it was discovered that prosecutors in that grand jury were spending, on average, only 39, cons 39 seconds per case determining whether or not to charge someone with a felony. Um, that's just simply, that's not enough time for a grand jury to conduct a thoughtful critique, review, and, and reflect and determine whether or not there has been probable cause established by law enforcement to accuse someone of a very serious felony case that may change their lives forever. Um, you know, it's just, it's just not enough time. Now, after deliberations, the grand jury votes in secret without the law enforcement officer or without the prosecutor there whether or not there's probable cause to believe the defendant committed the crimes presented to them by the district attorney's office. If they vote yes, then the indictment is what's called true build. So if, if, if a majority of the grand jurors vote that they believe there is probable cause, then the grand juror, the, then the secretary or the foreperson of the grand jury writes true. Uh, on the indictment that's given, that's handed to them by the DA's office, and the defendant is then officially charged with a crime as soon as it's filed in court. So it's been true bill. 
Now, the indictment is no build. That's if a grand jury, in fact, votes that there is not probable cause to believe that a crime has been committed. Um, then they return what, like I said, what is called a no bill. Now, what's important about a no bill, however, is that it does not pro prevent prosecutors from trying to, again. They can present the case to a grand jury at a later date. In fact, if there's some sort of controversial law, whether it's uh, someone someone committing some a, a crime that perhaps is not morally reprehensible, there's no victim or something like that, um, sometimes a grand jury will balk and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we don't necessarily think this should be a felony. And the grand jury may return a no bill. Well, in that case, and it may just be that there was a particular group of grand jurors who weren't hearing it from the DA's office. They weren't having it. Well, the DA has an easy way around that. They can literally just wait until a different grand jury has come in in the next term of court, and they can present the case again and, and try their luck again. Now, they only get two good bites at the apple, but the point is that, you know, it's not good enough that they get to conduct these proceedings in secret with no defense attorney, with no defendant, with no opportunity to cross the witnesses against you or anything like that. But if one grand, juror, grand jury decides that there's not probable cause, then they still get another chance. And that's just, you know, bad news for people under investigation or being accused of a crime. And it gets even worse. The grand jury, you know, we often hear that at a trial, you can be proved guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The verdict's got to be unanimous. It's got, it takes every single one of those jurors uh, to convict you. You've only got to convince one to not convict you. The same is not true for a grand jury. It only takes 12 of the grand jurors to vote in support of an indictment for it to be true guilt. So even if, without there being a defense attorney or defendant present or any defense witnesses, the prosecutors can only convince 12 of the 23 grand jurors that there's probable cause, well, that is still enough for an indictment to be true build and for charges to officially be filed against the defendant and the suspect. So the long story short is that the grand jury is a group of citizens that the DA gets to meet with in secret. No attorney, no defendant, no defense witnesses. And if the DA can convince merely 12 of those people that there's probable cause that someone may have committed a crime, then the grand jury has voted to true bill the indictment. That indictment is going to be taken into a courtroom, signed off by, the judge is going to sign off on the indictments, and there's going to be officially a criminal case, usually a felony charge, against that person. And they may have absolutely no idea that the charges are coming until they receive a arraignment notice in the, in the mail from the clerk's office. So folks, that is a very basic rundown of what a grand jury does from the perspective of someone who has been inside of a grand jury room and has seen how they operated um, and how they operate and how they how they work. Um, it, you know, again, it's not it's not an experience that a lot of people have, but it is unique and it plays such a vital role. It's supposed to play such a vital role in really curbing the power of prosecutors. However, as you can see with the fact that you know, in a neighboring state, prosecutors are spending 39 seconds per felony case. Um, the little bit of that check on the government's power has been eroded. However, the, the form is still there and the opportunity is still there. And now you know, hopefully, a little bit more about grand juries and how indictments are actually brought in Georgia and how Georgia grand juries work than most people do. And you'll always uh, have that knowledge going forward. Um, again, my name is Ryan Brown of J. Ryan Brown Law. This is the Georgia Criminal Law Podcast. Feel free to uh, contact J. Ryan Brown Law at ryan at jryanbrownlaw.com. You can also find us in downtown Noonan 
at 19 Perry Street, Suite 202, Newton, Georgia. That's 30263. If you always stop by, feel free to email us with any questions or comments you may have or any ideas for a topic that you would like to hear heard on the podcast going forward. Thank you very much.